0: Good morning, Cornerstone. It's good to see you all this morning and to, uh, to celebrate and worship Jesus and, and the, the, the theme through worship just very much this Hosanna and Lord and King and just uh, keep that going through your spirit as, as the word comes to you today because the word is from, from your king, you know, it's his word, he is the word. Uh, we've been talking over the past month or so about as a church moving from being a planted church to a rooted church. And, um, and that's not necessarily has anything to do with time. Like, yeah, we've been around for 16 years. Some churches have been around for 200 years, and they're not, they're not rooted. Um, but we want to be a church that's, that's rooted in Christ. And so our teaching over the course of the next several months is based in the word about the church. And what does the word have to say about the church, about the bride of Christ Christ? Um, Jay shared a couple weeks ago on two successive Sundays about elders and the elders and what role they play in the church and what that means as far as moving from planted to rooted. And then last Sunday, uh, we heard from the team that went to the Philippines um, with the MSV and about what work that Cornerstone is currently involved in in partnering with folks in God's kingdom across the world. And how that fits into us being a church that, that's rooted, you know, being involved in those kinds of holistic ministries um, and, and helping folks do their ministry and supporting them in ways we can is, is the kind of things we want to be about as a rooted church. Um, before we dive into the text today, I want to take a quick look again at our identity, vision, and mission statement. So if we could go ahead and get those up there. Um, so we've gone through these several times. So as a church, our identity is that Cornerstone is the bride of Christ and a body of worshipers rooted in sonship. That's who we are. We are children of the king, and we are rooted in that identity as sons. And, um, and we are the bride of Christ. That's who we are because that is who he made us to be. Um, our vision is to see the beauty, supremacy, and glory of Christ as the chief concern of all people at Cornerstone in Lebanon, and around the world, and our mission is that Cornerstone makes disciples of Christ for the purpose of of loving one another, our city, and beyond. We want to keep these statements before one another so that we know where we're going and living in these things, starting with our identity and looking at vision and mission. These are what it means for us to be a rooted church. Um, Four assumptions that Jay has talked about that I just want to reiterate as we continue this journey as a church is that, number one, you cannot love the head and hate the body. You cannot love Christ and not love his church, right? You cannot love the head and hate the body. Assumption two is that the the church is a means to an end, but it is not the end. Christ is the end. Number three, we at all costs will be Christ-centered. And number four, we will not be driven by consumerism or numbers. And as a rooted church, these things are very important. They're very important. This morning, we're going to be looking further at what it means to be a rooted church. We'll continue to look at church leadership structure and how that fits into being rooted a church. And particularly this morning, we're going to be looking at deacons. Um, By the way, if you didn't get this in one of the previous Sundays, there are handouts on the bar. I see some of you have them now. You won't need it this morning necessarily, but if you have one or you didn't get one, um, you can pick one on your way out on the bar, and it goes through some more detail about apostles, elders, deacons, those sorts of things. It'll give you some more scriptural foundation that we're not going to have the time to cover up here. Um, So go ahead and pick one of those up. The text this morning is, uh, is out of Acts 6. Before I read it, let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for your love for us. And Jesus, as we we receive from you this morning your truth and your word about your church, about your bride, I pray that we would be grateful that we have a God who loves us as much as you love us, that you love your bride as much as you do, and reveal that to us this morning, and let us in turn worship you for your goodness and your love for us, Jesus. We pray this in your name, amen. Acts 6, sorry, Acts 6, I'm going to try not to breathe as heavy, starting in verse 1, Acts 6 verse 1, but as the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers, saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve called a meeting of all the believers, saying, We apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. And so, brothers, select seven men who are well-respected and are full of the spirit and wisdom. We will give them this responsibility. Then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. Everyone liked this idea, and they chose the following, Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Paramenus, and Nicholas of Antioch, an earlier convert to the Jewish faith. These seven were presented to the apostles who prayed for them as they laid their hands on them. So God's message continued to spread. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem, and many of the Jewish, many of the Jewish priests were converted too. So in this passage, Um, the number of believers in Christ is rapidly expanding. Um, And the the current leadership structure that they have it can't handle this expansion. Um, Furthermore, it should be noted that this expansion is happening in the midst of great persecution. The apostles had just gotten let out of jail and were beaten for spreading the message that Jesus is Lord. And they were told not to be sharing this message. And what do they do? They keep at it. Um, the last uh, verse in chapter 42 says, and every day in the temple and from house to house, they continue to teach and preach this message. Jesus is the Messiah. So all of this expansion, all of this growth, which is they're having a tough time containing, is happening in the midst of great persecution and abuse that they're experiencing. But they continue on in joy. It's amazing. It's, it's frankly amazing. And we overlook how, how much um, truth and joy and reality that the apostles walked in. And the believers walked in. That they were willing to continue to just spread the message that Jesus is the Messiah. But they have this problem that's brewing, right? They have this problem that's brewing and that um, in the midst of this rapid expansion, there's, uh, there's some growing pains. And out of these growing pains, there's some, some rumblings within the believers here in Jerusalem. Rumblings are not a good thing for the church. They're not a good thing for any church, whether it's these new believers in Jerusalem in the, as the church is just getting off the ground or for Cornerstone or for any church in Lebanon or any church anywhere. Um, the Greek word here for whether your Bible says mumbling or murmurings or rumblings or whatever word your Bible uses there, it gives this idea of things said in secret. Things said in secret. Things said in secret are meant for people not to hear. That's usually a bad thing. We're saying it in secret for some reason, unless it's like a surprise birthday party or a special surprise gift for somebody, secrets usually are not good, are not good. And there's four times in the New Testament that this particular word is used. And each of those times, it connotes something um, negative, like this is not a good thing that these secrets, this secret talk is being had. The thing is, what these people are seeing and what they're rumbling about or murmuring about is, is something real that needs addressed in the church. They're just not going to the people that they should be going to. They're just talking among themselves. And so they're seeing something good. They're seeing something that needs addressed, but they're not handling it properly. So why, why wouldn't they? I, I don't know for sure. The scripture doesn't say, but let's, let's reason it out a little bit. Oftentimes, when there's rumblings, there's secrets back here. Um, First of all, there's not a deep love for the bride, right? Because it's being held secret. If you're seeing something in the bride that needs addressed, it needs to be out, right? Um, Another thing is, is that these folks probably, again, this is my sanctified biblical imagination here, just thinking through the nature of humanity, Sometimes it feels kind of good to be the one who sees something and knows what needs to be done. And it's good to say, you know what, I'm right in this. I can't believe these other people over here aren't addressing this situation over here. How can they not see it? I see it. How can they not see it? They should be able to see it, but they don't, but I do. And so it can bring this uh, self uh, appreciation, I guess to be able to see those things. Maybe that's what's happening here, maybe not. But for whatever reason, they don't go to where they're supposed to do. They're, they're murmuring about it. They're keeping it secret, right? But these are important issues. Um, it could be that the group over here, the apostles, were overworked. Maybe they weren't seeing it because they were dealing with other things that they had prioritized, right? Right? Maybe they knew it existed but just couldn't get to it. Maybe they needed help with it because the church was growing so fast. I mean, there's all these explanations, which we don't know. But, but I'm sure there's, there's a reason for it. But these folks kept it in secret, and they murmured, and things were beginning to stir up. In addition to that, it wasn't just that people weren't getting fed, that the Greek-speaking widows, the Greek-speaking Jewish widows were not getting fed. It's that, that there's a cultural divide starting to happen here, right? The Greek-speaking widows are not getting taken care of, so the Greek-speaking people are starting, they're starting to be a wedge between the Greek-speakers and the Hebrew-speakers. So this cultural divide, and those things, those are hard. Those are hard to deal with. So all of a sudden, this is seeping in. This has the potential to divide the believers in Jerusalem. This has the potential to split them. Um, Just a cultural side note. um, The Greek-speaking believers Now, do you remember, oh man, is it two months ago now, we talked about Shavuot? Pentecost, right? Shavuot. So on Pentecost, when we celebrated Pentecost Sunday here, of course that's when the Spirit fell on the people, but the people had gathered, the Jews had gathered from all over the region to pilgrimage to Jerusalem so that they could celebrate Shavuot. And Shavuot was the celebration of God giving his people his word at Mount Sinai. And so these Jews who had been over generations had been spread out away from Jerusalem for whether they were taken into captivity or they moved for whatever reason, and they've taken on the language, the Greek language of the people outside of Jerusalem. They had come back on pilgrimage to celebrate Pentecost or Shavuot, to celebrate God's word being given to his people. And so they're now mixing with these Hebrew speaking Jews. Hebrew speaking believers in Jerusalem. And so you can imagine there's kind of a, a thing that maybe the Hebrew speaking Jews would feel that, hey, we're the we're the pure ones. You know, we've been around here into the city, the city center, the the, the core geographic location of our faith. We speak the Hebrew language. These other people speak the, the Gentile language. You know, we're we're the pure ones, and now they're they're complaining about their widows not getting fed. So, you can see the cultural as well, as well as the social dynamic that's playing out here. Um, before we move on to the, so, uh, onto the deacons getting selected, which is what solves this problem, um, we need to understand what we're taking away from this, this murmuring thing. If you love the bride, God's church, and you see something wrong with her, honor her, work to make her pure. Work to make her pure. Don't murmur about something, take it to the right person. That person could be a staff person, a deacon, an elder, the head of the children's ministry or hospitality team, a worship leader, etc. the person who cleans the church. I mean, whatever the issue is, you take it to the appropriate person. Discern where it needs to go and take it there. Don't keep it a secret and murmur about it in the corner. Take it to the place that it needs to go, but also not only just take it there, but take it in the right spirit. Take it in a spirit of love for that person but also for the bride of Christ, right? One other thing not to lose sight of in this passage so far is that the very fact that they have a food program, right? Practically, they're taking care of their widows. Word, the word tells us that true religion is this, taking care of orphans and widows. And so they're, they're taking care of a real need among their people, among the Jewish believers, Greek and Hebrew speaking. Um, and in fact, Previous passages, if you look at uh, 4.35 or 4, chapter 4, verse 37, the people are selling their fields and giving them money so that these types of programs can be run. Not for the sake of the program, but for the sake of loving their community, for the sake of loving one another. And so they're doing this thing, but there's some kinks that they obviously need to have worked out of it. So what is the outcome of this potential mess? Um, Fortunately, the apostles are tuned in to what's going on. And the passage says that the 12 called a meeting of all the believers, right? They called them all together. And they said, let's, let's work this out. Let's see what's going on here. Um, they didn't want to tell some people and other people didn't know they were going to bring this thing to an end. Um, let's get everybody on the same page because this literally has the potential to destroy us. This has the potential to destroy the trajectory that they're headed on, which is something beautiful, which is the formation of the bride. So they select seven men who are well-respected well and full of the Spirit. And you can read their names or try to read their names in there. Um, there's good reason to believe that these were all Greek-speaking Jewish believers. So what, what a statement that the apostles make to bring unity among their people, that they would choose seven of the Greek-speaking and, every, and it says everybody's happy with this arrangement um, because the elders led very well in it. They're the apostles led very well in it. You would think that, oh, maybe they'll put some Hebrew speaking and some Greek speaking, and then they can, they can word it out. No, they chose seven Greek speaking and said, let's, let's handle this. And it looks like they did. We don't hear anything else from this at this point on, that everybody's getting fed, we assume. And so just a lot of trust to build that bridge, that cultural bridge over to this group that, that's having a tough time with how they're seeing the food distributed at this point. Um, a very bold statement that the apostles make. Now, it might seem that the apostles were saying, look, we don't have time to run a food program. That's below us. We need to be preaching the word and praying. That's what we need to be doing. That's, that's why we haven't been able to take care of this situation over here because we're doing more important things. That is not the case And when you read this, you might say, yeah, Matt, that's great, but it really sounds like it's the case. No, we have to get it through our head that God calls the people in his body to specific things based on who they are and how he has made them and what they should be doing. So this has nothing to do with the apostles being higher up on some hierarchical leadership ladder. No, they are just called to teach God's word and to pray. And the church is growing so much that 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 is potentially being ignored because there's other needs in the body and they need help. And so they choose these gifted individuals to come and distribute the food. In verse one, it says, but as the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers saying their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. Now, I don't know what words your Bible uses for distribution of food, might say like the handing out of food or something. But the word there, the Greek word for distribution, is the same word in verse 4 when it says, Then the apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. The the Greek word for teaching, teaching the word, and the Greek word for distribution of food, same exact word. Same word. Okay? And that word is... um, diakonia, 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 and it means service. It's a noun that means service or ministration, not administration, but ministration. Ministration meaning providing assistance or care. And so what what the word is telling us is that if your diakonia is to distribute food, distribute food, like that's your service. If you're Diakonia, your service, is to teach the word and pray, then, then do that. Do your diakonia, whatever it is, because that's all part of the body, and the body needs those things. So do that. If it's distribution, do that. If it's teaching, do that. Same word, same word. So what it means is that this is about calling. This is about who's supposed to be serving and how. It has the same word, equal, level, body needs both. It doesn't say that distribution is here and teaching is here. Diakonia, the same word. So at this point, the murmuring ends. It's over. Everybody's, everybody's satisfied with, with, uh, with the apostle's decision. And the threat of division among the believers is averted through some great leadership by the apostles. And the problem that they were looking at with food not getting distributed and the word not getting preached is now solved. Is that they have these great, great men who they put in place who are covering the distribution. The apostles are now teaching the word and praying. So everything is happening in their body the way that it should be at that point. If you haven't already picked up on this, the word diakonia is where we get our word for deacon, okay? Actually, we get it from the word diakonos, which is a word that means service. Diaconos means, or I'm sorry, servant. Diakonos means servant. Service in chapter 6 is diakonia. So you hear deacon, deacon, servant, right? Um, while this particular passage doesn't use the word deacon, it doesn't talk about the servant. It talks about the act of serving. This is where many scholars and non-scholars alike believe that the, origin, the deacons were formed. This, was, this is where the first deacon team was put together. It's also extremely important to note, particularly for deacons here at Cornerstone, or deacons anywhere for that matter, is that deacons are not just about Service. Deacons do not ignore the word because the apostles are are handling that. They are deacons because they live and understand and teach the word. Therefore, they're qualified to be servants. They're qualified to be deacons. In this passage, it mentions Stephen as one of the deacons. If you go to the very next section of Scripture, you probably have a break there, um, so we can miss these kinds of things between verses 7 and 8. So it, in, uh, in verse 5, Stephen is named a deacon, Acts 6, verse 5. But in Acts 6, verse 8, it's still talking about the same deacon named Stephen. And what's he doing? He's teaching the word to people. He's delivering the word. In fact, he delivers it in such a powerful way. To people who don't want to hear it, that he gets killed. If this is the same Stephen who was stoned, who looks up and sees his king and his lord, who's very pleased with him. So his death comes as a result of his bringing the word. So as deacons, deacons aren't just there to to do; they are. They're there to diaconia, to provide service, but they are also there as one's filled with the Word and to be able to teach the Word, to give the Word, to live the Word, to impart the Word to the people that they're serving. And Stephen exemplified that. Stephen exemplified that tremendously. So there's not this huge division of, of tasks. You handle the food, we'll handle the Word, ignore the food. No, I would imagine when those deacons were handing out food, there was ministry happening in that context. The Word was being given along with the food. The bread of life with the word of life, right? Um, Just a further word on serving in God's kingdom. Go ahead and flip your bulletin on the back. Um, There's two quotes there from a Christian author. His name's Lester DeCoster. I'm going to read the first one to you. It says, That chair you are lounging in, could you have made it for yourself? Well, I suppose so, if we mean just the chair Perhaps you did, in fact, go out to buy the wood, the nails, the glue, the stuffing, the springs, and put it all together. But if by making the chair we mean assembling each part from scratch, that's quite another matter. How do we get, say, the wood? Go and fell a tree, or cut down a tree. But only after first making the tools for that and putting together some kind of vehicle to haul the wood and constructing a mill to do the lumber and roads to drive on from place to place. In short, a lifetime or two to make one chair. We are physically unable, it is obvious, to provide ourselves from scratch with the household goods we can now see from wherever you and I are sitting to say nothing of building and furnishing the whole house. So you consider making one chair from scratch knocking down a tree, but getting to the place where you have to knock down a tree, building the vehicle to get you there, building the the tool to knock down the tree, making the screw to put the put the wood together after you built your mill to make the wood to make the chair. You see what's going on here, right? This says a lot about the body of Christ and how it fits together to be a body and the gifts that God brings to each one of us. Imagine making one screw. Just go make a screw. Even if you just had to go to your basement and find an old piece of metal that you're not using and turn it into a screw, that's hard. Thank goodness there's people who make screws for us, right? Absolutely. The second quote, oh yes, work gives meaning to life. Here, diaconia gives meaning to life. It is the form in which we make ourselves useful to others and thus to God. Our work, whatever our work may be, is the thing that makes us useful to serve others and to serve God. It shares in weaving civilization, which is the form in which others make themselves useful to us. So civilization is the way others make themselves useful to us by providing us with the tools for doing our work well. Okay, So there's an exchange happening here. We serve, we work to make ourselves useful to others, to serve others, to love others. And in turn, others use their work to help us do our work better. I mean, think about it. What is it that you do? Maybe you go to a job eight hours a day. Think of all the things that other people have to do so you can do your job well. Maybe that's a source of frustration for you. Right? Maybe others aren't doing their job well. What tools are others making in part of this thing we call civilization that allow you to do what you do well? Who built the building that you meet in? Right? Who set up your computer system so you can communicate with other people? Maybe you, that's what you do. Maybe you just use those tools. Right? So whether you uh, make a small screw for a living... That is making yourself useful for somebody else. Whether you run a large multi-billion dollar banking firm, you're making yourself useful. But neither of those things could be done without a whole civilization that's doing other things of people working to give those folks tools to do what they do. There's an exchange that happens. Now, the end of this quote, it says... um, it shares in weaving civilization, which is the form in which others make themselves useful to us by providing us with the tools for doing our work well. And it sculpts the kind of self we are becoming through the choices we make in the handling of our talents on the job. Maybe you don't go to a 40-hour-a-week job. Maybe you raise your kids. That's what you do. But that is a service to our culture by raising your kids well. And if you're raising your kids well, there's thousands and thousands of other people doing other things so that you can raise your kids well. So all of these things fit together, which is why in this passage we look at apostles and deacons and see that their form of service to the body, each of them separately, what they do is so important. Just like what you do, whether it's on your job or in your home or in this body, is so important, as is everybody else around you and what they have called to is so important. And it's important and it seems like in this passage these deacons, they got it. They saw the importance of what they were doing for the the body of Christ. For the body of Christ. How we interact as a body in and through our unique, purposeful giftedness has a lot to say about the kingdom culture we create in this church, in the city, and in the Philippines, or wherever to the ends of earth that we to the ends of the earth that we go. How we interact as a body with our giftedness, elders, deacons are two that we've talked about so far. There's so much more. Whether you are an elder, a deacon, a pastor, a childcare worker a money giver, a sound technician, a PowerPoint operator, a floor mopper, a children's teacher, a prayer, a flag waver, whatever it is. Like all of that shapes who we are, and each part matters. How we interact as a body, in and through our unique, purposeful giftedness, has a lot to say about the kingdom culture we create here in this church, in the city of Lebanon, and to the ends of the earth At this time, anybody who's substituting for our child care workers who are deacons, could you go relieve them right now if you could? Thanks. Um, Go to 1 Timothy 3. More specifics on deacons in 1 Timothy 3. 1 Timothy 3, verse 8. I just want to walk through these verses, which these verses give us a very practical look at what deacons do and, and who... I'm sorry, not what deacons do. We've just talked a bit about that. We're going to talk a little bit more about it in a few minutes. But who deacons are. What you do flows from who you are. So this is who deacons are to be. 1 Timothy chapter 3 verse 8. In the same way deacons must be well respected and have integrity. They must not be heavy drinkers or dishonest with money. They must be committed to the mystery of the faith now revealed and must live with a clear conscience. Before they are appointed as deacons, let them be closely examined. If they pass the test, then let them serve as deacons. In the same way, their wives must be respected and must not slander others. They must exercise self-control and be faithful in everything they do. A deacon must be faithful to his wife, and he must manage his children and household well. Those who do well as deacons will be rewarded with respect from others and will have increased confidence in their faith in Christ Jesus. Verse 8 says they are well thought of by others and they have integrity. A little bit more Greek. Integrity here means not double-tongued. Not double-tongued. In other words, what you say over here to this person is the same thing that you say over here to this person. Integrity, consistency. When you think of something like, you hear the phrase like the integrity of a piece of steel. It means you look at that piece of steel and it's the same throughout. It's the same strength. There's not a flaw in it along the way. I can look at each section and it looks like the section before it, right? It's not, one, this section looks like this and this section looks a little different. No, it has, its integrity is established. For deacons, what they say over here is the same thing that they say over here, not, not double-tongued. Um, verse nine, they're committed to the mystery of the faith. Basically, they get that Jesus' life and death and resurrection reveals reality. The mystery is revealed. This life that we live, it's about Christ. Deacons get that, right? Deacons get that. And that this reality leads to salvation. This reality in Christ is a saving work. It's a salvation thing. That's the mystery. And we say, well, what's the big mystery? Well, it is a mystery to a lot of people, right? A lot of people don't get it. They don't know it. So they get this mystery of the faith. They hold on to it. It's how they live their life. It's what guides them. Um, look over on verse, uh, at verse 16 in chapter 3. Without question, this is the great mystery of our faith. Christ was revealed in a human body and vindicated by the Spirit. He was seen by angels and announced to the nations. He was believed in throughout the world and taken to heaven in glory. There's the mystery, right? Verse 10, they are blameless. They are not perfect. Nobody is, but they are unaccused, right? Whatever sin does show itself in their life, they're seeking forgiveness, repentance, redemption. They're doing the work that needs to happen, right? They're not perfect. They're unaccused. They're blameless. They cannot be blamed. They've taken care of what needs to be taken care of, right? And when something else comes up, they they take care of it. They have the conversation. They do the work that needs to happen. Verse 11, in the same way their wives must be respected and must not slander others. Um, This word can be translated, and some of your Bibles might have it, wives or deaconesses, women deacons. Um, There's great theological debate with great smart people on both sides of that. Um, We can talk about that afterwards if you want to. I don't want to go through all of that this morning. Um, At Cornerstone, we believe that that women can be deacons, that women have gifts to be deacons. And so you're going to see we have women on our deacon teams here at Cornerstone. Number 12, deacons' families must not be perfect. It says a deacon must be faithful to his wife and must manage his children and household well. These are not perfect marriages or perfect parenting, child-parent relationships. Are the deacons in their marriage? Are the deacons in their kids' lives? Right? Right? Our kids make bad choices. All kids make bad choices. This is not a matter of perfection again. This is a matter of are deacons in it? Are they engaged in what's going on in their families? Or are they checked out? If they're checked out, they don't qualify. Number 13, there's great reward for deacons. There's great reward. Those who do well as deacons will be rewarded with respect from others, but even more so, will have increased confidence in their faith in Christ Jesus. They will have increased confidence. Those who do well, those who diaconia well as deacons will have increased faith in Jesus Christ. That's huge. That is huge. A great reward for deacons. So um, let's talk about our deacons here at Cornerstone. We uh, started talking about a new leadership structure uh, more than a year ago. And you've seen this slide numerous times. Um, and so our structure looks like this, is that we have an elder team called the In Christ team. We call that the In Christ team. That's what our elders are doing. They're in the realm of what, bringing Christ to our body. Again, the other teams are in that as well, but the, that's where our elders are focused. Our three deacon teams are our in-community team, our in-Lebanon team, and are to the world for the sake of Christ. Team, and all four of these teams—the one elder team and the three deacon teams—work together. There's overlap. There's things that happen. There's things that one team talks about that probably another team will talk about at some point in time, right? And so our deacon teams are structured around in community in Lebanon and to the world for the sake of Christ. Um, they meet the third Tuesday of each month here at the church, and uh, for the past six months. They started meeting in January. For the past six months, they've been kind of getting their philosophical feet under them. What does it mean to be on the In-Levitant team? What does it mean to be on the In-Community team? What, what is this To the World for the sake of Christ team about? So that's where these teams have been for the past six months or so. And the teams are now starting to get into more of the doing that deacons do. They're starting to, to plan some of these doing things that relate to the spheres of influence that these deacons have been called to. Um, so if you are on one of those three deacon teams, the in uh, community, the in Lebanon, or the to the world team, come on up here. Um, we're going to pray over you in just a little bit. So we're going to have the elders come up, but not quite yet to, to pray over. So if you're on one of those deacon teams, come on up. Um, I'm just going to give a little uh, brief descriptions of what um, these deacon teams are currently working on to give you some more specifics here. Um, You guys can just stand down front here in front of me. Um, The in-community team, Tim and Joy, Courtright, facilitate that team. Um, Jason and Christy Eckenrode are on that team. They're not here this morning, and I want to show this. These are our deacons who couldn't be here this morning. Um, That's Jim and Cindy's wedding picture. They haven't aged. I was joking around (laughs) with them about that. I said, is that your wedding picture? Um, so, uh, so the in-community team is uh, Tim and Joy, who facilitates the team. Jason and Christy Eckenrode, who are bottom left. Their kids are not on the deacon team with them, but they are a part of their family. Um, John and Terry McCumber, who are down here. John and Terry, and uh, Vanessa. Vanessa couldn't be here either. So Vanessa told me the other day, oh, I didn't get you my picture. I said, don't worry, I got one for you. It's fine. And she got really nervous. Uh, I said, it's fine. It's a fine picture. So everybody, tell Vanessa how much you loved her picture. Um, and so the in community team um, is currently looking at ways to connect our body at Cornerstone and those who are coming to us for the first time to the strengths of Cornerstone so what are the strengths who is Cornerstone what are our gifts as a body well we bring the truth really well at Cornerstone not just from up here but in other realms in our teaching in our children's ministry other places in our conversations with each other at Cornerstone we bring the truth well we want to invite people into that but bringing the truth well, the truth cuts, right? It's a sword, right? That can hurt. And so we love people well. And so this, this, uh, this two-pronged thing of truth and then loving in the midst of that truth is something that Cornerstone does really well that this team has deser- discerned. And so this team is looking at how do we practically invite our body and what do we invite our body into and folks that are walking through our door for the first time, how do we invite them into those things? So that's where the, that's what the in-community deacon team is doing right now. Um, The In Lebanon team is facilitated by Steve Cracky. Steve's down here. Um, My wife, Courtney, is on that team. She's next to Steve. Uh, Bob Reinhout is on that team, Bob. Uh, Mark and Virginia Niesel, who are up here, bottom right picture. And um, Katie and Todd Swisher are on that team as well. And also Mike Borden just joined that team. And so the In Lebanon team is now beginning to look at um, how do they look at our body at Cornerstone? And where is our body engaged in the city? And what things are people doing even in our body in the city of Lebanon that we're not even aware of? And getting and, and getting to, to, to uh, understand all the ways that we're involved in the city. So you will probably be hearing from from this team in the near future so they can understand your connection to the city of Lebanon. And this team is also beginning to develop ways that are practically that our body can engage the city to both bless the city, but also to receive the goodness that God has in our city. So there's some practical things, programmatically speaking, that are beginning to uh, be tossed around by the In Lebanon team. Um, The To the World for the Sake of Christ team is currently facilitated by Jay. Um, Jay's not up here, though, because he's not going to be there for the long haul with that team. But uh, also on that team are Jim and Cindy Goschert, who are upper left-hand corner there, Uh, DJ and Julie Martin down here, and uh, John and Sandy Casey at the end of the line over here. And this team is um, looking at practical ways to expand a kingdom mindset in our people here at Cornerstone, in each of us. How, as a team, can they help facilitate expanding our kingdom mindset um, through engagement in ministry as far away as the Philippines and as close to home as... Discipleship in your own small groups here at Cornerstone. So, again, you'll be hearing more of these practical things, these doing things, these uh, diaconia activities that our deacon teams are doing at Cornerstone over the course of, you know, from now until the end of the year. You're going to start to see some of this stuff come out and and the engagement that you'll be invited to in it. I want to have the elders come up at this point. And uh, so if you are an elder at Cornerstone, come on up. We're going to pray together over this body of deacons to release them the point of this is if you read Acts 6 like we did this morning, it talks about the elders praying over the deacons. So we're going to walk that out practically this morning, the elders. So if deacons, if you guys could kind of gather here in a four-foot radius circle, all of you. Pack it in. Um, and the deacons will lay hands on and, and we'll, we will pray in releasing these leaders into our body. Um, as servants, as doers of God's word, and as takers of God's word to our body, to the city of Lebanon, and to the end of the world for the sake of Christ. So let's pray over our deacons. Jesus, thank you for bringing um, these folks that have been called into our body at Cornerstone. Um, thanks for them. Thanks for calling them into this specific role. And as we talk this morning, there's um, there's many roles within a body, and you've called these folks specifically to be deacons at Cornerstone. And so as they learn their role, as they discover what it is you would have them doing at Cornerstone, Lord, we just thank you for, um, for making them a part of our body. Lord, we pray for protection for them and their families. Um, the enemy wants to attack leaders such as these. He wants to attack the very things that your word asks deacons to stand for. Um, their marriages, protect their marriages, protect their relationship with their kids. Um, Lord, when they're tempted to walk away from integrity, um, show them how much the integrity matters to you, Lord. Um, Lord, protect them. Um, Let them not be led astray by anything that the enemy would want to do, but bring protection. Surround them with your love and uh, allow them to just live in the freedom that is your truth, Jesus. Lord, we just pray that you would release their gifts, their creative gifts into the body as they think about what it is they do. Lord, give them just full Creative, um, a full creative release of their abilities to do those things in, in ways that maybe um, they never thought of before, or ways that the church maybe has never thought of, of, of doing ministry before. But Lord, lead them in who they are as individuals, as couples if they're married, or and as teams, and as teams together at Cornerstone. Release their creativity um, to do the ministry of your kingdom, Lord, so that we all might live in our identity as your bride as your sons, as ones rooted in worship so that we might take your gospel to the world, Lord. And Lord, finally, I just pray that you would reward them um, with increased confidence in their faith in you, Jesus, as your word says. Lord, uh, expand their faith, reward them um, for who they are and what you've called them to be in, Lord, um, to play this, this body part in our body a Cornerstone, Lord. And we thank you for them. And we release them to do the work that you are calling them to do, Jesus. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Just briefly, I just want to close in reading one passage of Scripture from Corinthians that you know. The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. If the body were an eye, if the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Or if the whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? And Jesus, we pray that our cornerstone would be a body, that uh, isn't just an ear or isn't just eyes, but it would be a body with many parts um, working together. And, Lord, we thank you that we have the deacons that we have to lead us um, in our city, in our community as a church, together here. And, Lord, to the ends of the earth for your sake. We pray this in your name. Amen.
1: That was good stuff about why we are who we are and um, how we're meant to live in the body of Christ. So. I'm excited about how God's going to use these deacon teams as we continue to walk toward um, Cornerstone's fuller identity and and mission um, and and vision. The way that God has has delivered it to us, and these deacon teams are are essential parts of of walking it out. Um, if you were to ask me um, what Cornerstone likes better, um, spirit or structure, I would say spirit. <laughs> About five hundred times over, I think that uh, I think structure is something that, like, sort of we put up with. Um, uh, structure is really important. This whole month has been about structure. Actually, we talked about elder structure, and I finally got ordained by the Church of the Brethren. And now we're talking about deacon structures and all the all these things. Um, I think that it's it's really important for us to understand one thing, and it's that spirit and structure go hand in hand. When when somebody preaches a sermon when's the Holy Spirit more active in that service or when they're preparing? That's a good question. You know, um, there, there's, we oftentimes divorce those two things. And I just want to encourage you with the idea that, um, that structure, while, um, while it's sometimes, um, two things usually. Number one, either it's something that we're not that interested in, or number two, it's something that we've been wounded by. And so we tend to bail on it either way. Um, that God, God does have a very redemptive structure for the way that his church is to work. It's just a matter of going back to his definitions, his word, and walking it out his way. Um, so that was a great exposition that, that, brought, that brought Matt this morning, that Matt brought this morning. And, um, uh, and I just want to encourage you all that, that structure is, is spirit, and the spirit loves structure. The spirit hates confusion. Um, God doesn't God doesn't work there. God doesn't work like that. So, all right. So, let's finish with that and seal that in at that time.
0: Lord, we uh, we receive the truth of the praise that we just offered to you. All authority is yours. All victory is yours. You overcame for us, and so, Lord, as a body, we receive this together. We are a body of arms and legs and eyes and feet and knees and ligaments and joints and skin and all kinds of things. And Lord, so we receive together the truth that you have overcome for your bride, for your church, and that we can move forward together, planted. But better than that, we can move forward rooted. And Lord, we ask of you to root us as a body, that we receive that as a body so that we can walk into this world to bring your glory and your beauty to everyone. And this morning, we receive that together. And Lord, we pray this in your powerful name. In your name, Jesus. Amen and amen.